Hello everyone, welcome to our next episode of Public Discourse. My name is Sancho. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Uh, hello again. So this is actually a very special episode because for the first time ever in our three-year history, we've been doing this for three years now, we started in the pandemic, we're having our first ever return guest. And he's a really good friend of mine. Uh, he is uh, actually my real estate agent. So for this episode, uh, we will be speaking uh, as a follow-up with our real estate segment literally a year ago. We had an episode with him last year, and it's David, right? David Morales. Uh, he's a full-time realtor licensed in Virginia and Maryland. Today, he'll be fielding an scripted Ask Me Anything About Real Estate session, part two, from me and Ricardo. After listening to this video, anyone can reach David with their own questions at 703-625-1592. And with that, let's begin. Let me introduce my good friend and real estate advisor and founder of one of my favorite orgs in George Mason, uh, Mr. David Morales. Go ahead, David. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I do have to give a shout out to the FCA, Filipino Cultural Association. Um, hopefully more of them are watching this too, but uh, yeah, a lot of them have become my friends and family as well. So, yeah, awesome. I can never forget them. Awesome. That is great to hear, Dave. Um, I can say I'm definitely excited for this episode. And uh, I figure we might as well just get started. So, as uh, Sancho said a little bit earlier, uh, this is about a year since our last recording. So I just want to get right to it. What has changed in the market since we last spoke? Yeah. So that's that's a great uh, that's a great question, Ricardo. Um, so that then in terms of how's the market doing now, uh, my my first question is always going to be. Um, are you asking from a buyer's perspective or a seller's perspective? Because it can be either a really good thing or a really challenging thing, depending on which side you're on. So let's say I'm asking as a uh, new buyer. Okay, as a new buyer, perfect. So um, as both of you are now experienced home buyers, um, so the home buyers, um, they basically, you know, they have a year of experience uh, watching what happened last year when um and in fact sancho you saw this last year as well uh, yeah. it was a competitive market um in sancho's case um they won against seven other this happened after last year's public discourse podcast but sancho actually uh won against seven other potential buyers for one house and um and sancho actually won out um his offer was accepted but um, from a buyer's perspective, this is what the buyers are almost expecting. You know, they had been expecting the market to be like, um, except the interest rates had changed, the market had changed. And uh, towards the end of spring of last year, for the buyers, the market started to change where they were seeing uh, houses suddenly weren't selling as quickly. They weren't disappearing in one weekend. And sellers were also confused um, because, um, you know, their, off, their houses were staying on the market longer and um, houses were um, probably not at the market price. So they were sitting on the market longer. Um, so from a buyer's perspective, uh, it almost seems like um, it was a complete flip from even just a couple months prior where basically it was um, a very, very competitive environment. And then uh, the buyers suddenly see a market where 
they feel, okay, houses are starting to stay on the market longer. What's going on? So um, interest rates had a little bit to do with that. Um, interest rates went as high as in the low 7% uh, as recently as last November, 2022. Oh, wow. And um, that, you know, for a potential home buyer, um, you know, the interest rates going from 4% or even 2% the year or two before to 7%, um, it can be a, a significant difference. So what happens is for potential buyers, their purchasing power suddenly went down. So um, that accounted for some of the slowdown in the purchases. Um, buyers purchasing power went down and suddenly the house that they thought they would be qualified for, um, maybe they were qualified for a little bit less and it made them kind of hesitate. Um, the other thing that happened was inventory was still low. So, um, you know, so even though houses are staying on the market, you, you weren't seeing uh, you weren't seeing a ton of inventory. And that's continuing even to today. We, we still have relatively low inventory. So um, so what that's doing for potential buyers is um, even though houses are staying on the market a little bit longer, um, you still don't have a ton of um, houses to choose from. You have some houses, but not a ton of houses. So um, because that would have that would have definitely resulted in uh, a drop in home prices, but we didn't see that. So we saw uh, we, we saw houses staying on the market primarily because they were probably not priced for the condition and uh, for that reason and not not because, um, you know, not because um, it, they were seeing it for that reason. And um, if there were more houses to choose from, we would have seen a, a, a drop in prices. Gotcha. Supply so and, supply and demand. Gotcha. So one of the things I was wondering, and, and I think we all kind of heard these crazy stories where I specifically remember in Texas where sure. they put a house up for sale and next day you can see a line down the street of people trying to buy the home and everyone willing to pay cash, everyone willing to overpay by 50 grand. So I'm curious, is that sort of environment still the same? I would imagine not, but I'm curious, are you seeing that there are buyers who are so fervent about uh, purchasing a home that they're willing to go over asking price or make whatever deal that they can, or, or is that kind of, uh, that flame pretty much died down? That's, a, that's another great question. So um, we are still seeing that in some instances where the, the house is basically, uh, if you imagine yourself as a buyer, a well-qualified buyer, let's say you have, uh, significant amount of cash, so you are one of those um, top potential home buyers, um, and you know you have uh, plenty of cash to put down for a house, and you're trying to look for a house, and um, let's say that perfect house does hit the market. You know um, it is low inventory, but let's say that house does hit the market, um, and then you want that house, um, so you're going to put an offer on it, and because it's low inventory uh, in this area, especially, um, and it's it's happening across the country. But um, there are well-qualified buyers still out there that have um, plenty of cash to put up. And what happens when these competing buyers who are well-qualified again see the same house? Um, mm -hmm. They're they're not gonna 
they're not going to coordinate and say, well, it's, you know, the market has changed. This house isn't worth that much. Um, they can try to offer a lower amount, but it's like a game of poker. And if you offer a lower amount when someone else is willing to pay more for it, um, that's, uh, you're going to lose out. Um, if you're not, and if that's the perfect house that has just the right characteristics, um, you're going to miss out when you would have had the purchasing power as well as the resources to make that higher offer. So we are still seeing that in rare instances where the house is um, really, really updated, um, that, that checks everyone's boxes, and it's highly desired very often in the right location. Um, because that's not something that you can just transplant. transplant. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a house in the right location is that's high, highly desirable. Um, it is going to have um, a lot of potential buyers coming, you know, coming, and um, and then you'll see, you know, it is it is rare, but it it is still happening sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, would you say then? Because I, 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 I've been trying to just figure it out based uh -huh. on um, what we've been talking about, yep. whether it's a buyer's or a seller's market. Right. And I would assume based on the low inventory, it seems to me that it's probably closer to a seller's market still. What, um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, no. Um, it, um, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of the, you can tell whether it's a buyer's market or a seller's market by how long it stays on the market, as well as when contracts are ratified, um, what types what types of terms um, are they more favorable to the buyer, or are they more favorable to the seller? Um, mm -hmm. In terms of are they you know getting the right price that they're happy with, or is the buyer able to ask for home inspections more often? Um, are they able to get more contingencies in? Um, you know, financing contingency, home inspection contingency, um, sometimes, you know, for what's called rent back, where the seller wants to stay in the house a little bit longer. Um, can the buyer um, request rent at market price um, in terms of if the seller wants to stay there, that's fine, but pay me rent mm -hmm. and then you can move out when you're ready. But, you know, and this is after the settlement date. So, um, so yeah, so I would say uh, I would say it's it's shifted more towards a buyer's market because of if you look at the terms, they're more favorable now, and it's you know it's a more balanced market where there's a there's a house on the market and the buyer wants to buy it. However, the buyer wants to do home inspection first, and um, this is you know this is the way that normal transactions happen, you know not in the past two years. Um, where if the buyer wanted it, they have to, they had to give up certain things. Um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine buying a house without having a home inspection, and yet many of the buyers were doing that. Um, you know, in the past year or two years, before the market started to change. Well, now it's started to shift to where the the buyers are again asking for home inspections. Um, that happened probably. Um, Probably early last summer, we started to see that shift. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. If you got a question, go for it. Yeah. No, I was just thinking, David. So, uh -huh. you know, I mean, we went through our journey together, right? We sure. We got this house where I'm staying at right now, and 
And the main reason we won is we had that very straightforward offer, waiving home inspection and all those things, right? And we also like, I remember that phone call in the morning, we're like, hey, we need to, we're down to the last two, we need to increase, uh, we need to match their price and we're in, so like, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, we had, my experience was that, right? Uh -huh. It's very competitive, one house, what, seven, eight offers, right? right. Right. Yeah, and then every every time, all like our when we toured all those houses, there's other people like looking around with us. It's just very high demand. So, what is the buying experience now? Uh, you know, like what if let's say instead of me buying the house back in March, mm -hmm. we're buying it now. How how would we do things differently? So that's that's a great question. That's a great question as well. Um, so the the buying experience now, um, at least for me and my clients. Um, I'm very process oriented. So my buyers, it's going to be a very, very similar process where it's understanding what's important to the buyers, to my buyers, and what are they looking for. And I will do a systematic search. I will do a systematic search for my clients and every client is different, but I'll do a systematic search, send that out to my clients and be in touch with them on a regular basis in terms of understanding what's out there in the market. Um, and you remember this too, Sancho. We, um, we touched base probably on a weekly basis and uh, we talked about, are we at the right price? Are you considering other areas? Are there other features of the house that um, you can either add or drop so that we can get either more inventory or um, less inventory if, if, we're too, if we're seeing too many things on the market based on our search? So it's very it's very similar. Um, the difference now is once um, once the typical buyer now sees a property, um, it's usually it's usually not a property that had just hit the market. Um, it may have been on the market for one week, two weeks, okay. um, which is not a, which is not a bad thing. So that's mm. that's probably how the experience is different. And um, if you can imagine what that feels like, um, you know, versus a year ago where if a house hits the market and if you wait one or two weeks, that house that you wanted to see is probably gone already. Whereas now, if we do the same process and you see houses that you like, um, we do the research and we find that the house may be on the market for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It's not such a bad thing. Um, and that's actually... You know, before the um, before the heightened um, demand for houses a year or two years ago, um, you know, a month on the market was actually a normal, you know, a normal time period. Um, and it's hard to believe now because you know we just came out of a, a market where houses would disappear after one weekend, and that that definitely was not normal. But it was normal for the people who were searching a year ago. And now we're moving back to a more, what I'll call a, a more balanced market. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that was crazy. We look at a house on, on what Saturday, and then by Monday it's gone. You would tell us, wait, we're still deciding. We offer it. Like, oh, that this house is already sold. Yeah. Yeah. I think can't take too long because others are moving quickly. Yeah, like this specific house, we saw it on Saturday. We put up an offer on Monday. Right. We got it on Monday. It's like in two days we bought the house. Right. Yeah, it's pretty yeah insane. So is it more like I would say like you know in my case one one seller like seven buyers you know mm -hmm. 
So is it more like a one-to-one relationship now? No, it's so well with with a house being on the market. Um, yes, it, it'll end up being one-to-one, but um, with a house being on the market for more than one week or two weeks, mm-hmm. uh, you can imagine um, there's probably not as much traffic that first weekend. Um, and so, what is what does that mean for sellers um, who are, you know, who want, you know, they want their houses to be sold? as quickly as possible. It means that they can't just put a house on the market and expect it to be gone no matter what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So what sellers have to do now is they'll have to do, they'll have to think more like, what does a buyer want from, from my house? Because now they can wait and choose from any other house and there's, there's, they feel there's no rush to get my house. So they'll have to do things like updates to the house, um, Paint, consider paint updates to the house, carpeting, floor, you know, flooring. Um, the things that the buyers would would expect. Otherwise, they're going to move on to other houses that did do those updates. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's one big change for the sellers that um, that wasn't there a year or two years ago. But these uh, buyers, they're paying a lot more now because of the higher interest. That's, that's like correct. Yep. So that's also trade, part of the equation. Yeah. Correct. That's also part of the equation. If interest rates continue to rise, and I I can't predict where the interest rates are going. Um, I can tell you that they've come down a little bit since November. So they're they're currently um, just over six percent, whereas <clears throat> as recently as November they were over seven percent for a short time. Okay. And that's that's typically for you know for many financing options uh, for many financing terms that's that's often 30 years hmm. so there's a uh, there's something i'm curious about um you you mentioned that there's low inventory uh, mm-hmm. nowadays and maybe i'm imagining this but i thought you said that there was also low inventory during covid times when people were selling uh when you know those crazy sales were happening and Correct. my question is can you talk a bit about why there is low inventory? Um, it sounds like this has been a this has been an issue that's maybe started maybe five years ago, or maybe I'm imagining that. And can you talk about why that is? And um, I kind of want to I'm going to take that conversation another place further, but I'd like to start here. Yeah, sure. No, so there's there's actually a couple reasons uh, for the low inventory. If you look at um, one of the reasons is if you look at the horizon in terms of um, new home construction. Um, you're seeing less um, planned new construction builds because builders are um, they're running out of places to build, and then also uh, you know of course they would they would love to create you know build enough houses um, to meet the demand, but the demand is is still just too great. So um, you know. The builders have uh, they have limitations on where they can build, and um, you're you're not seeing as much new construction um, as in the past. That's one of the reasons. Um, another reason is um, you know supply and demand, um, or or um, many families uh, are also staying in their houses longer than they have traditionally. So. If you look at the the typical time that a family will spend in the house, um, 
it used to be it used to be five to seven years, and now it's extended to past that. Uh, many of the families now have uh, have been in their house for you know seven to ten years or even longer, and um, you know by them not putting their house back on the market, that um, you don't have uh, you don't have new construction and you also don't have um, homes for resale mm-hmm. going back on the market. So that's um, that's the other reason for uh, the inventory staying low. Just people are deciding to hold on to their houses longer. Um, now, if you have to sell the house, you're going to sell the house. But um, those are, you know, rare instances. Yeah. It, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, it's interesting that you say that, that people are staying in their homes longer. Mm-hmm. And this is actually where I want to take this conversation. Because mm-hmm. I want to kind of project what things are going to look like in the future. And it seems to me, you know, what one of the things I consistently hear is that rent prices are going crazy. Now, maybe those will go back down as um, these large apartment complexes seem to not get filled, or maybe they are getting filled and people are really just ruining their financial future, just trying to pay to live. Um, so it seems to me that it's more important now to hopefully get into a home and someplace you can stay long term because now you're not having to worry about rent increases or anything like that. So I'm curious, do you think... Um, that trend of people staying in their homes longer, do you think that'll increase? And what do you think that'll do for the job, not job, what do you think that'll do for the housing market in the future? Yeah, no, so that's uh, that's a great question. And um, and that's correct. So um, the other byproduct of home prices going up is the alternative is just renting. And um, if there's, you know, if there's not a large supply of um, rentals, then again, it's supply and demand and you're, you're seeing the rent prices go up just because, um, you know, just because the the landlords can charge that, and the the market is bearing those higher prices. So, um, and and that um, higher housing prices as well as higher rent prices, um, it it's almost, um, you know, it's a, it's a really tough situation for both home buyers but especially renters because they, um, you know, they they don't really have any other options. Um, however, what you know, how this is going to affect the housing market um, and basically um, how we are choosing to live. I, what I think, you know, where I think we're moving towards is, um, you know, you don't have a lot of options. Um, however, what one thing I do see happening is um, I see a trend towards multi-generational houses where. Uh, you have the the parents or the grandparents moving in, um, you know, with the children or grandchildren, um, you know, just to consolidate housing and also to reduce on costs um, for the the families, you know, combined. Mm. So I, I I think we're moving towards that just because there are you know um, there aren't many there aren't many other options um, because the housing prices are what they are and the rent prices are what they are. Yeah, I think it's crazy when you talk about that, David. I mean, you know, we're both Filipino and like, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in the Philippines, that's how it is in the Philippines. You know, we right. all have multi-generational houses. I grew up in one. Yeah. There's like three or four families living in one house. And, you know, the Philippines is a third world country. And I think right. that's a big part of that. Do you think that's like a sign of decline in the American economy? Like, 
you know, the American dream used to be like you buy your own house, you know, and then just have your own place and you have to live with your mother or father anymore. But now that you're saying that's, you know, I mean, like that it's like that trend is becoming more like the Philippines. Is that mean that, you know, we're just, you know, America is not as good as it used to be? No, no not necessarily. I, I think um, I think you do see that, but that's um, it's still a very, very small percentage, um, you know. And it, it might be a rising percentage, but it's still a very, very small percentage. Um, in a typical um, two-household, uh, two-income household um, that's well-qualified, I, I think, um, you know, and with proper financial planning, I think we're still going to see, um, you know, the American dream is, is still very much attainable, um, you know, with, with financial planning. Yeah, it's... it's, it's uh... It's funny that, that you said that, like, you know, as Filipinos, that's what you mm-hmm. kind of grew up in. And that's that's what I grew up in, too. Yeah. Um, my grandmother lived with us until she passed away. Yeah. Um, and even when I was younger, we owned a home that had three levels. And mm-hmm. uh, me, my brothers and my parents, we took uh, the ground, the main floor and the top floor. And we rented out a, a sizable basement out to uh, my mother's sister and her son. Uh-huh. And that's what I, I remember growing up and living like that until I was about 10. And then uh-huh. we moved to our own home where I lived with just my family, lived there for about two years. And then we moved up here to Maryland. And so I'm used to having roommates, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting that, I think it's interesting that that's not, I don't know, like it, it always helped with bills. It was it always financially made sense. So it's always interesting to me that that was never even something worth considering. I guess, you know, as Sancho said, you know, you move out of your parents' house, you know, because then you get that sort of freedom. You know, you know, you don't want to be 35 and your your mom's still telling you what to do because she lives right next door to you. But um, it always seemed like it was it was always the the wise financial thing to do. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, Sancho, you think of that as a negative, but I'm wondering the way I see that is a positive because now it seems to me like uh, you, you're able to have more resources to do other things. Like, for instance, right now, I have a roommate currently. Mm-hmm. I could probably I could certainly afford to have my own apartment. I wouldn't be able to afford to have a home, but I'd be able to have an apartment. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, it makes more sense to have chose the route that I have because now I'm financially able to do way more things than I would have if I even owned an apartment or certainly if I owned this home by myself. Right. So I. I don't know. I don't. I disagree that that's necessarily a decline, Sancho. Um, I would. I would see that as. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that could uh, find its way to actually being a positive, where people have more disposable income to do better things with. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just talking, but I don't know. I, I think it'll just be interesting to see what this trend uh, looks like moving forward. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you. You know, you're the American guy who's born mm-hmm. here. I mean, I don't know. I just see like. I just think of like I don't know. I mean I don't know for sure. I just know it from popular media. Mm-hmm. You know, like from the you know, back in the fifties, you know, when mm-hmm. somebody who works at McDonald's can buy like three houses yeah. and still have like so much disposable income. You right. know, like I don't know if how accurate it is. I haven't seen the data, but mm-hmm. that seems to be the narrative. Whereas and maybe David you can chime in on this. Like historically, has people been more like I I pay my house, I buy my mortgage. And I still have extra income or you know, other stuff. You know what I mean? Or is it just more like 
you know, like, I feel like, are we more just tightening the belt now compared to, like, back in the day? Well, I think it's being more resourceful. I think, uh, so that is the other trend other than multi-generational, mm-hmm. um, you know, multi-generational households. Um, you know, that uh, example that Ricardo gave in his experience, I think that's another, you know, again, it's a very, very small percentage. However, I think it's a rising percentage where people are, are you know, people who are able to afford, let's say they're able to afford more house, but um, if they can offset that with income, um, that's, you know, that's um, an investor mindset where um, someone else is helping pay, you know, that's basically the, you know, that's basically the the whole concept behind being an investor. It's um, a potential renter or a renter is paying your mortgage for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, um, if you can do that with part of, you know, with part of your household um, or even a, a different building, um, that's, you know, what investors are working towards, um, you know, and whether it's another building or even within the same household or within, even within the same house. Okay. Absolutely. I, w- I would say um, with this current home that I, that we mm-hmm. purchased, um, we have a, we have a solid number of rooms. I think we have a, it's a three bedroom place. Uh-huh. Um, it's got like three bedrooms as well. Sorry. Right. Uh, two full bedroom, two full bathrooms. I keep saying bedrooms, two full bathrooms, two half bathrooms. It's a sizable spot. Um, in my opinion, the idea is eventually the dream is, uh, to be able to rent this place out and maybe even move to an apartment. Cause for me, I, I, I don't need, I don't, I don't have uh, I don't need a big place at all uh-huh. um, yeah. or to have another home. And hopefully with the rent that I'm able to make here, certainly mm-hmm. it pays off the mortgage here, but maybe it didn't gives me a two, 300 to pay to my mortgage or rent for this other place. And so that's, that's what my parents did. That that's uh-huh. how they were able to yeah. accumulate enough wealth to move us to a decent area in Maryland. Yeah. So absolutely, when you say it's an investor mindset, I, that's what I've been thinking about since I've even bought this place. It I is. Yeah. Live here for a while, and then uh, upgrade it slowly, and then rent it out, and then see what what that cash flow does for me in the future. Yeah. yeah. But the question, Ricardo, though, for you is mm-hmm. when are you gonna throw a party there? Apparently, you have a big ass house. He <laughs> never, never invited us. He never that's a, a that's yet. a that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't trust you yet. Have more bathrooms than we do, and we already do like <laughs> ten parties in here. Well, in all fairness, you do have a bigger home than I do. Okay, we well, have, have more bathrooms than I do, huh? You have more bathrooms. Yeah. So, <laughs> how uh, do you hang out in bathrooms often? Hey, why not? Right? <laughs> if it's a nice one, right? As if it's nice and big enough. Um, <laughs> no, I know I need to. I, I I've been slacking on that. Um, I know I need to. Yeah, plan something, man. <laughs> Maybe this year. Maybe yeah. I'll, I'll host yeah. a party around Christmas time or something. Yeah. yeah we Ricardo, Ricardo, so um, based on, um, you know, what, what you mentioned was plans for yourself. Um, one of the things, because you never know what the market is going to look like at the time mm-hmm. that you're thinking of either renting it out or selling, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that, um, you know, I can suggest, because now you've seen two different, uh, you've seen two different market uh, environments uh, where basically you know, one environment where um, anything will sell or rent and another environment, you know, fast forward to just a year later and now it's houses are staying on the market um, and then they are needing updates. So one thing I can recommend as a homeowner is 
you'll always want to make sure that your house is being updated on a timely basis. Um, just do the regular maintenance and slash upgrades um, mm -hmm. when you're able to do that. Um, because it will make a difference when you're preparing to put your house on the market, either for sale or for rent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and years of not maintaining a house will really show, uh, you know, when you go to that next step. So you, those are things that you can start to plan for even today, you know, as, as you're a current homeowner, just things to keep in, in the back of your mind. Okay. Um, and you too, Sancho, it's, uh, you never know what your plans are. Um, it, it might be your forever home, but um, in many cases, it's, it's not the forever home. And, but you'll still need to do something with the house and um, yeah. you'll want to just make sure that you, you do do those updates um, you, because you don't want to be the house that's at the bottom end, end of the range and any potential buyers or renters are still able to negotiate a lower price mm -hmm. um, just because uh, it's difficult to find any other buyers or renters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember we saw some of those houses during mm -hmm. our tours. Uh, yeah. I want to kind of pivot a little bit, just a personal question, David. Sure. So, uh, you know, we, we work with Academy Mortgage, right? That was my loan servicer. And yep. if you ask of today, I got an email from them and this Mr. Cooper services. Okay. And uh, they were saying, Sancho, great news. Your mortgage is transferring that with us. Think of it as you're being bumped into first class. I'm like, what? You know, so, you know. Uh, what is this? What is going on here? Uh, so am I not going to work with uh, with the academy anymore? Or are they, you know, wh why did this transfer happen? Did they sell my mortgage to them? Like, what is going on here? Because yep, yeah, I really so, like the service with academy when we work with them. Yep. So that's a that's a good question. So um, let me just explain, um, you know, and, and it sounds like you got bumped up to first class, Sancho. So that's great. <laughs> that's what the email uh, said. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. Really? Um, like, we'll see. What, what, what do you guys do, huh? <laughs> yep. So what happened there was, um, and your your lender, your your um, originate, you know, origination lender, you know, Academy Mortgage in your situation, um, they um, probably gave you the heads up that they may be, uh, you know, there may be another uh, company that will be servicing your loan. So basically, your payments will be going to another company, another, you know, and this is a legitimate transaction. Um, so what's happening is, um, you know, when you apply for your loan, um, you know, Academy Mortgage, they finance that. And um, and then you basically are committed to paying Academy Mortgage, you know, for, th for the next 30 years. And um, if you think of that stream of payments, um, that's cash flow that is basically monetized in the secondary market. So that future cash flow and then they look at everything uh, this is why it's so important um you know when when your information goes through underwriting and you get approved um they take that information and they're always thinking about um will the next company um be willing to pay you know pay us for this you know and they will receive, you know, that next company will be receiving your payments, in this case, Mr. Cooper. And um, what Mr. Cooper did was they paid Academy Mortgage like a lump sum, you know, um, discounted for discounted cash flow um, for the future cash flow payments. Mm -hmm. um, so so mm -hmm. there was there was um, 
you know, and then Academy Mortgage got paid um, 30, 29 years early. Um, and, and then your payments will be continued to, to go to, in this case, your new loan servicer. So um, that's all that happened there. Uh, something happened in the background. Um, mm -hmm. All of your terms stay the same. Now, one thing I do want to mention, though, is when you see an email like that, um, you also have to be very cautious because you do want to confirm with your original lender, um, hey, was this legitimate? It looks mm -hmm. legitimate. It mentioned Academy Mortgage. Um, but that is also public information. So, you know, um, you know, a third party that um, is aware of that public transaction, um, they could just write in Academy Mortgage's name, mention their name and say, your payments should go here, here instead. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll want to double check with your original lender and have them confirm that, yes, this is correct. And then go ahead and, you know, um, you know if everything's legitimate and you've confirmed it directly with your original lender, then um, you can continue to follow the instructions. And again, just like with any loan payment, you want to make sure that you're paying those on a timely basis and that it's being paid to the correct um, account and payee. Okay, thanks. I'll just so I see, feel free not to answer this, but like, so what is your? I don't know if there's a difference between Academy and Mr. Cooper, because these guys are saying being bumped for first class. So are they just a better service? Like We're just talking on here. Sorry, I'll let you answer that. Like, do you know? Do you know anything about this? Because I don't. No, know. it's just it's a it's simply a business transaction. Um, okay. they cannot. So this is one thing that's very important. They cannot change the terms of your of your finances. So um, when they when they assume that um, stream of future payments from Academy Mortgage, um, you know, by law, they cannot change any of the terms um, on your behalf. So everything will be the same. What might be different is, um, you know, and, you know, for these loan servicers, um, customer service might be different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but other than that, you're you're just continuing to make the payments. Um, and if you're making those regular payments, um, it's there's really no difference to you. Um, you know, and just of course follow up and make sure that your payments are being applied to your loan balance, outstanding uh -huh. loan balance. And um, but other than that, there should really be no difference. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just another transaction that um, you know that inserts itself into this overall. Um, home buying and you know secondary market process okay so i'm not getting first class then i'm well, sorry it could be it could be first class um, <laughs> for secondary mortgage but uh, yeah i got you okay yeah thanks yeah. quick question yeah. for this so i've been thinking about it so mm -hmm. you know i had student loans right from george mason and nova from mm -hmm. but then i paid it off in like what two three years you know uh -huh. basically and I did it based and you know, if I I basically did it by paying more than what I was supposed to. Because yeah. if I did if I didn't, I would still have the student loans right now. And my uh -huh. my thinking, especially as an accountant, is I want to pay as less, less interest as possible. Uh -huh. So I want to back off as much from the principal as possible, right? Is that strategy advisable for mortgage or should I just like wait for 30 years? No, no. So it's it's absolutely advisable if it can be fit within your budget. You will you will actually knock off years. Uh, you will actually knock off years and save um, potentially hundreds of thousands, depending on your loan balance. 
Um, mm -hmm. You could save hundreds of thousands in. You're, you're never going to save on the principal payments because you have to repay yeah. that. But um, if you can, re, if you can just keep in mind that you're, the interest that you're being charged is always on the remaining balance. So if you're paying down uh, more principal, then the remaining balance that you have to pay is always going to be a smaller and smaller amount. So um, it never hurts if if you can fit it into your budget to make um, you know more principal payments, uh, more more payments. You can do that by. Uh, you always have to make sure that uh, your mortgage payments are at least one you know one monthly mortgage payment um, because otherwise um, you know they will basically. Uh, if if you pay less, then um, the loan servicer will basically sit on that, and uh, what it means is you've missed a mortgage payment, you know, until that principal and interest that was due at that time is paid in full. So um, you always want to make sure you pay at least one month's worth, and you can do that by adding on some additional interest um, to your already scheduled principal and interest payments. Um, the other way to do it is um, make a separate payment that's going to be again equal to um, equal to or greater than your principal plus interest that's that's due next. Okay. I think you lost me a little bit there. So yeah. the way I imagined um, it would work is uh -huh. uh, mortgage and interest, right? Your monthly bill is a thousand, right? Right. Just just for easiness. Um, and let's say you know you go Sancho's route. I want to put a little bit more down. Okay. So you've put 200 down, the idea being that it's only principal. Are you saying that that 200 that you put down will not go only to, to principal? Or are you saying that oh, uh, they'll take so that I'm too? Saying, so mm -hmm. I'm saying that if $1,000 is your regular monthly mm -hmm. payment, you know, and that's going to be the same fixed amount right. um, you know, per the amortization schedule. Mm -hmm. um, so $1,000 every month. So what I'm saying is... Um, the $200 in addition to that, that will all go towards um, the additional principal balance. So, okay. Okay. Because so that $1,000, you know, let's, let's say out of that $1,000, um, you know, and you'd be surprised at the beginning of, if you look at an amortization schedule, at the very, very beginning of a, of a loan, um, maybe 900 of that will go towards um, interest. Mm -hmm. And only $100 will go towards mm -hmm. principal. Mm -hmm. um, but if you make a payment of, let's say, $1,200, and you direct the additional $200 to pay down principal, um, you can imagine. So instead of $100, then you're paying $300 mm -hmm. on that first, uh, you know, on that first month, and so on. So, mm -hmm. um, so that way you're paying down. Um, you know, you're going to be cutting off. Uh, you're going to be saving years and interest um, by accelerating those payments. Yeah. Uh, question so, with the hold on, hold on. Let me hold on, hold on, because I just I just want to make sure I got this. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. No, this um, is important. So. Yeah, and so so I get that, and that makes total sense. Uh huh. Uh, and I do just want to clarify this for our audience. Sure. So you saying that when you are trying to do this, you want to make the biggest payment that you can, as opposed to paying the mortgage and then a week later paying that additional 200 are you saying i guess not necessarily wait because you got to pay your bill on time but are you saying as best as you can try to lump everything in one payment or 
or sorry. Well, so uh, no, that's a great question too. So what's what's important here is um, you you want to be careful not to to just make a partial payment by itself because that um, as as I said earlier, um, if you ever tried to make a two hundred dollar payment, mm -hmm. um, the loan servicer is going to say I, I'm going to sit on this until you give me a full you know a full uh, monthly payment. Okay. You know. Uh, principal and interest. Um, so they, they would basically just sit on that. It would sit in like a suspense account. Uh, it wouldn't be applied towards your principal balance, which is what you wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the suggestion would be to, you know, um, two, two strategies. One would be to add the $200 onto an already scheduled um, mortgage payment, mm -hmm. or you can do a, you know, another separate um, you know, but it has to equal your principal plus interest. Um, gotcha. And then that will basically, instead of, you know, instead of making 12 payments a year, you can do 13 payments a year. Gotcha. Okay. And something like that, I, I think it'll, I think it'll cut off. Uh, if you do that from the beginning, I think that'll cut off uh, about seven to 10 years off of your, you know, instead of a 30 year mortgage, uh, you'll pay it off in about 23 years. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Good. I, yeah. I just I just want to make sure I got that because I didn't want anyone thinking. I know I know I keep interrupting you, Sancho, but I want to make sure I want to drill this down for some of our listeners who may not be financially literate. Um, but what I really just want to drill down was just, OK, pay as much as you can. Do not do these partial payments unless you get full confirmation that that payment will be going to principal and it's not. That's correct. And you suspense. that's correct. And you'll want to double check that you want to make sure that um, you're understanding how it's going to get applied and when it's going to get applied. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, this is very helpful because, you know, a lot of especially mortgage, even people with mortgage, you don't really know the calculation behind this. And I have a follow up question with that calculation, too. Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody has a house of like 500K. That's the principal. And then you have a 7% interest rate, right? That's a mortgage, 500K, 7%. So where is that seven percent being applied for monthly? Is it like seven, like the whole in five hundred thousand times point zero seven? That's the entire interest for the entire life. Yep. So cycle. that's so that's actually the interest per year. Per year. So that, that's the stated interest per year. Now, okay. um, now it's getting kind of into the weeds, but um, you know you can kind of um, you know, and that's. That's per year. So there's 12 months in a year. And then also, you know, your principal balance, um, that's also, um, you know, the principal balance is also, you're making one twelfth of the principal and interest payments every month. Mm -hmm. So um, it's always off of the latest, uh, you know, what is that latest balance? And then, um, you know, the seven and a half percent is, that's per year. Mm -hmm. And um, and then your um, you know your your APR is going to be based on you know taking into account like the timing of when the you know when those payments are made. Mm -hmm. So how 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 do we translate that seven percent in the monthly? Let's say my mortgage payment is three thousand. How much is the interest? Is that seven percent of that three thousand? No. So it's um it's basically. You take a look at the um, the remaining balance, mm -hmm. you know, for for the year, and it's 
you know, it's or it's it's actually, uh, you know, if you're paying mortgage on a monthly basis, your amortization schedule, um, it's being calculated, you know, one month at a time. So mm-hmm. basically out of the 500,000, um, you know, then it's seven and a half percent annual interest. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's 12 months in a year. So uh, it's basically one twelfth of that. And then it's being applied to, you know, the current balance. And then um, whatever that interest is that, um, you know, whatever interest is that is being charged, the, re- the, the difference is the amount that you're paying your principal down by. So you use the, the remaining balance to calculate how much interest mm-hmm. and, and then the remainder is your how much is being applied to principal. So that's the way amortization schedules work. But, you know, roughly, roughly one twelfth, you know, about one twelfth, you know, assuming, assuming that that balance doesn't change. However, the balance does change throughout the year yeah. because, you know, you're you're you are paying a little tiny bit off of the principal as well. And then it's that new principal balance that is, you know, being multiplied by, you know, the 0.75 percent. And then it's really one twelfth of that. Okay, I if got. That makes sense. So the formula is like 0.7 of the uh, carrying balance times 0.12, and that's gonna be per month. Divided by 12. Right? Divided by 12, yeah, and that's that's yeah. what's being multiplied. That's basically your interest per month. That's basically it. Yep. So then throughout the year, you know, with that 112, 112, 112 throughout the year, then basically you've got 112 or 12 twelfths times the seven and a half percent interest yeah. rate. Um, okay. And then that's your annual interest rate, assuming that balance stayed exactly the same, which it, which it does not, because you're paying it down throughout the year. Yeah, so that's why if you just keep reducing the principal, that interest is going to go down. Like correct. Yeah, and then you're and then because you're paying the same um, percentage because you're paying the same fixed amount, yeah. then more and more is being applied towards your principal. And what I notice in my interest schedule, it seems like we are paying more interest at in the beginning, right? At the beginning, that's correct. correct. And and that's because that's because you know, a really simple way to be looking at it is mm. uh, if you look at your, you know, because you know you're paying the same fixed amount every time. If you think about your the amount that you borrowed, and this is for anybody, mm-hmm. the amount that you borrowed, it's always going to be the largest at the beginning, you know, because that's the total amount that you borrowed and you're basically paying that down. Well, the amount borrowed times whatever the interest rate is, and that interest rate is always going to stay the same if it's a fixed interest rate, because there, there are also um, adjustable interest rates. Um, yeah. But let's assume it's a fixed interest rate for the entire 30-year period. And, um, you know, that percentage, any percentage times a larger number means that you're going to be paying more in interest. But since you're paying the same amount every month, then more of it gets applied to interest than principal, at least at the beginning. And then towards the end, where you're you're paying the same amount, um, the interest calculated on a smaller balance mm. towards the end is much smaller. So then more that's where you see, um, and especially after the first couple of years, you're you're going to really notice your mortgage balance starting to drop uh, more significantly than especially then in the early years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think that's a great explanation, and I want to. Um, Again, for I, I want to 
I want to drill this down for our, our, fin- our listeners who may not be as financially savvy. Sure. So to kind of illustrate uh, what Dave is saying, imagine your mortgage payment is $1,000 um, every month. What's happening is initially, like Dave was saying, 900 is going to be applied to principal, 100 is applied, sorry, 900 is applied to interest, 100 is applied to principal. Well, through the life of your mortgage, because you're paying down your principal, um, of that $1,000 that you have to pay each month, naturally the interest is going down as well. So what's happening is month, month, sorry, month one, you pay 100 towards principal. Month two, you pay 101 towards principal and so on and so forth until eventually you get to last year of your loan and now you're paying $100 to interest and 900 to principal. So that's why it's always, like Dave was saying, it's advisable to try to knock down that principal as best as you can because you'll see, like he said, life of the loan uh, decreases because you are knocking down that principal more. Yep, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, I would say this is very helpful because I think a lot of people, including me, even, you know, shame on me, I'm an accountant, right? And I did the amortization schedules in the past. It's, I guess it's just like, I guess, intuitive when we were like 7% in you know, principal is 500K. So my interest is 7% off the 500K. Mm-hmm. But then it's, like I said, it's an annual and it's a 30 years. So in a way, if you don't pay anything, it's like that amount times 30. But since you're paying it off, that's why you need to. And while you guys are talking, the Excel sheet is just building into my brain, you know. And I think it's, you know, it's pretty. It's really variable, right? It depends well, on, on the year. It's a month by month basis. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And one thing I, I want to mention, schedule. too, Sancho, is, um, it, you know, it's it's um, it's not a bad thing to be analytical uh, and finance driven, but um, one of the things that that is not, you know, it's not intuitive that you are able to pay down your mortgage more quickly and you don't have to follow that um, 30 year mortgage uh, schedule. Um, that's there, it's, not, it's not written in any, um, and especially the, the lenders uh, you know, or the servicers don't want, you know, they, they certainly don't want you to do that because what, what does that mean? Um, they make money off of interest payments. Mm-hmm. And if they were to tell you that yes, you can accelerate your, your payments, um, by even let's say $100 or $25, um, and it will make a difference um, in, you know, in how much time remaining is going to be on your loan. Um, you won't you won't hear that from the lenders uh, or from the really it's the service providers um, because what they are expecting is they're expecting 30 years of interest payments. Um, where basically even if even if people are able to pay off more of their balance, they don't because you know, um, you know, it's, let's say your mortgage, you know, at some point in the future, you refinance. And when you refinance, um, it's the remaining balance that gets refinanced. So let's say in, in your future loan, uh, you refinance, and then all of a sudden you only have to pay 500 in mortgage and interest. You know, so instead of $1,000, maybe you're only paying, you know, your remaining balance is 250000 and you're only paying $500 a month, you know, um, remaining. And um, some people will just continue paying that $500 a month for the next 30 years. Well, what happens if you are able to pay $1,000 a month still? Um, You know, even though you refinance, um, you could, you know, it is still an option to continue paying that thousand that you were able to pay before 
And after you refinance, you know, presumably you're still able to pay that. And um, what it means is you'll just, again, you'll just be cutting years and years off of your loan. And um, this, the loan service providers won't be too happy because um, you know, towards the end, um, they're going to see that the loan's paid off already. And basically, there's no more obligation to them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not written anywhere that you're, you are able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Sancho. I was say I went after a curveball into this. Hold on, let me just say something before you throw that curveball, just sure. to kind of piggyback on what Dave said before I forget. Sure, this sure. is um how much uh I won't say necessarily loan provider, but this is how much this is how angry they can get people who um provide you personal loans or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There's some places that have what's called a prepayment penalty. In other words, if you pay your loan off quicker than their amortization schedule. They'll find your ass. That's crazy. Keep that in well, mind. So, so you know, you'll have companies. You'll have companies that tout, you know, hey, we don't give you, we don't offer uh, prepayment penalties, and it's like, oh, thanks. That's You're a thing. Doing me a favor, you know, and it, it, it's a ridiculous thing. But so, yeah, so, so I can say, um, are you asking if you had that, Sacha? Yeah, um, we don't, right? I don't know. I you did not. You did not. And I can tell you. Um, some some particular loans may have that and um what it means is let, let's say you had difficulty getting financing you know um this is just you know a typical potential buyer who let's say they're credit challenged and um they don't get they, they don't get the most favorable terms um that you know that might be exactly one of those um provisions in there that you know and in addition to probably paying a higher interest rate because they're a higher risk to the financer but um, and the future service provider. But um, one of the terms might be, you know, we're going to give you this financing. However, you're not able to, um, you know, pay this down sooner than whatever the stated term is. Uh, and that might be the condition of the lender, you know, before they're willing to offer, you know, extend credit. Mm -hmm. um to someone who might otherwise be a credit risk that makes sense all right i'm gonna yeah. throw my curveball now so we have a tax guy here you know with mm -hmm. cardo tax accountant non-profit so, tax accountant just keep that in mind <laughs> so there is you know a thing called you know deductible deductions right with mortgage uh -huh. interest uh and then if you pay it off you kind of lose that deduction right so there's a question for ricardo actually do you think that's worth it or do you think that's worth keeping it to pay less taxes with getting that deduction or um so first of all let me before i say this i'm not a financial advisor i'm not a personal tax consultant so what i'm thinking is this will be my only my opinion mm -hmm. i think it is always the better idea to prepay or sorry to pay down your mortgage as much as you can for two reasons mm -hmm. one we just talked about at length you'll reduce the length of your loan. Yeah. Uh, you can reduce the years on your loan. Two, let's say you you uh, you can't even do that and you need to sell your home. If you've been paying down your principal more, you're able to pocket more of that money. Um, and so I think, I, I, I can't really speak on the tax benefits because I'll be honest with you, even though I purchased my home, the tax benefits, um, the, the uh, interest deduction, has been less than a standard deduction. 
So I've had to take that anyway. So, it, you know, I don't necessarily benefit from that particular deduction. So ultimately, I would suggest pay down that damn loan as much as you can. Get it out of your life. Move on for better things. What, what do you say to that, Dave? I say um, so. I think that's a really good answer. Um, I think there's there's a couple ways to look at it. Um, one, you know, if you're if you're asking whether it makes financial sense because of the potential tax deductions, mm-hmm. um, I would say um, why pay any fee that you don't have to pay? Um, and that's you know if you're if you have a lower um, if you have a lower remaining balance and you know, if you think of uh, if you think of the interest payments as basically you know an extra charge for doing that transaction, um, if you're able to pay that down and then you owe less in interest as a result, then you're basically saving money, you know, because of the you know the interest that you no longer have to pay them. Um, that's that's the way I would look at it in any situation. Um, second, in terms of if you are looking at whether it can be, uh, you know, you can still take the tax deduction. Um, you also have to take a look at, um, you know, standard versus um, itemized deductions. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, with the uh, recent tax law changes, um, the standard deduction was actually bumped up significantly. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the things where um, it might, you know, you have to talk Talk to your tax advisor, but it might not be advantageous to itemize, you know, because the standard deduction might still be more. Yeah, uh, that's the case with me. Got married, <laughs> like have a higher tax. I think I'm taking the standard as well. I calculated my in- yep. uh, interest deductible. Uh, so I wanna, I did some a little math here. Mm-hmm. So check this out. So if a thousand bucks is the interest, is the principal. 7% interest rate, you're paying 70 bucks in interest, right? Mm-hmm. But if you pay it off to 800, you're only paying $56 in interest. So you save $14. So, right, so you're already saving in that small example. Yeah, so for $200 more payment in principle, you're saving $14. Yep, and then ex- yeah. extend that up by 30 years. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, extend it out 30 years. I mean, this is a simple calculation, yeah. but you know, if you have the whole amortization schedule, that's going to be more exponential. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I made it. Thanks. I made a decision. I'm going to pay more. <laughs> don't don't financially bankrupt yourself doing so, as Dave was saying earlier. It's it's something if you can do it, make it happen. But yeah, I got to talk um, to my wife. It's different now because when I was, you know, when I was a uh, dude, when I was in Rafa, man, like literally, I kid you not, I have like a thousand bucks in my bank account. All my salary goes to student loans. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I was like, yeah, I don't need this money right now because mm-hmm. just sit in a bank account versus lowering my interest. I'd rather mm-hmm. knock it off. So yeah. I was like, I'd rather have no money in my bank account, but no loans. Yeah. So, now, here's one thing that's going to be different, though, as, um, mm-hmm. you know, when, when it's a big difference paying down a mortgage versus yeah, paying student. down student loans. Um, mm-hmm. When you paid off your student loans, um, you know, you're basically done with your student student obligations. When you are done paying your mortgage, you basically have your, the equity in your house, so um, so that's money that, uh, and that's a huge that's a huge difference uh, in paying down obligations. So what you're doing is basically you are um, setting aside, you are basically pocketing, uh, you know, um, your investment, and um, that is you true. Know, in the future where you sell the house, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
the equity that you're going to get is what you sell your house for minus any obligations, including the remaining mortgage. And if your mortgage is zero, then basically you pocket all of that uh, mm -hmm. minus any selling expenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that that's very true. That's what you can think about. Um, so you, you're never, you know, your money is never being wasted. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, because your your home is going to continue to appreciate in most yeah, cases. The money you're really spending is just the interest, because the, right. the, the payment for your principal is going back to your house. Correct. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's been really great conversation. We actually are over time now, but okay. you know, a great time. So I guess we'll just go with closing statements. Uh, maybe else, Ricardo, you can start, and I can go, then David can end it up, and then I'll close up the podcast. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, first of all, let me just say, Dave. I uh, I didn't even notice the time was flying. That's uh -huh, how you know, yeah, no, a conversation. That's how you know you're learning a lot. Um, for our listeners out there, um, owning a home is a uh, it's it's a, it's a pretty big responsibility. And so anyone who endeavoring to own their first home or even their second home, please find a great real estate agent, somebody who's willing to walk you through the process and explain it as simply as possible, so that you understand exactly what you're signing up for. Um, and it can absolutely be a rewarding experience, um, but it could also be something that can be extremely difficult. You know, I think, I don't know if you guys have heard, I'm sure Dave has, but there's a term called cash poor house rich. The idea being that all your money is going to your home because people are buying homes that are probably outside of their price range. So if you have a good real estate agent who's able to talk you through understanding what exactly you're buying and how this will affect you, it could it could absolutely be a rewarding experience. And I can say I hope uh, everyone who wishes to own a home was listening to us. I, I absolutely hope you can eventually. So I'll leave it with that. Yeah, thanks, Ricardo. Um, what I would say in my part would be investments. You know, Ricardo seems to be very good at investment as he talked earlier. And, you know, his mind is just already 10 steps ahead. But I would say investment, investment, that's how you build wealth. And you can invest in multiple ways, including stocks, bonds. Now there's this crypto thing, right, going Stay on. Stay away. <laughs> exactly. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we'll, we, we can have an episode with that another another time. But I would say real estate is, I think, is the best one. You know, you can't live on a stock. You can't live on a cryptocurrency shelter. But I think this is something, it's a win-win. It's something to live in and uh, something to, you know, appreciates value. And like what we're saying, uh, literally, I'm... I didn't even realize it until David brings it out. Like I'm paying off my mortgage, but a mortgage is coming back to me. You know, it's it's, it's I'm basically yeah. this house has a value. It's not like you know that thirty thousand dollars I paid on student loan is gone now. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have equity for it. But yeah, I would say I would very encourage investing in real estate. It is something you know you can. It's so many ways we can do with it. Buy a house, rent, live somewhere else. You know, the renter pays the mortgage, you know, and like Ricardo is saying, maybe pay even part of your mortgage and then just keep growing that. It's basically like the game of Monopoly, right? If you can play that game. Uh, but yeah, eventually I would hope, uh, yeah, we need to advertise this podcast a lot. I think this episode and even the last one, every realist, everyone who's trying to buy a house, I think if they just listen to this, this is like a house buying one-on-one and maybe, David, we can connect with your, some of your contacts. We can spread this podcast around. Maybe in one of those, uh, you know, there's a real estate class. They can just play this class for their, <laughs> play this recording for their class, right? Call it a day, right? Maybe we'll talk to them some universities, like community colleges. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, but I would, yeah, I think this is a great episode. Very, we have a very amazing expert here. We can talk to George Mason, right? We can, we can be put in their classes. But uh, yeah, thanks, David. Uh, so you, you can go ahead and close everything up. Okay, yeah, no, and, and um, for me in closing, you know, I just wanted to thank you both for inviting me back. And um, what I loved about this episode was um, you, you were both very sharp and you're homeowners. And what it almost um, evolved into is just that next step of, okay, now we're a homeowner and now what? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's, um, it's personal finance, but it's also, um, you know, it's also very, very um, related to both of you as homeowners. Um, in terms of what your options are, um, not just, you know, so this podcast isn't just for potential home buyers, but it's also for renters, you know, giving them things to think about, you know, plan for the future. Um, and then also for, you know, existing homeowners, like, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Sancho, with, you know, now also thinking about investing and, you know, you're, you're thinking about other possibilities. So this really, you know, really can apply to a lot of people and you know there's there's a lot of ways that we can help in real estate yeah amen (laughs) okay thank you thank you so much so once again this is public discourse uh with our special guest mr david morales uh he you can contact him at 703-625-1592 let me repeat that at 703-625-1592 625-1592 is a great realtor. I can attest to that. I gave him a recommendation. He got us a nice house that already hosted like 10 parties in like less than a year. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and once again, we are on Facebook, search as a public discourse. I'm thinking of making an Instagram page to include their promotion. And we're also, we have an email. So feel free to send us an email at public discourse podcasts at gmail.com so thank you everyone have a good day have a good night have a good rest of your life thank you bye take care thanks guys take care bye bye